0: The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org.
1: Gracious Father, we come into your presence to hear from you. And we start that by talking to you give thanks and to make request of you to thank you that you are a God who is near present who wants to build us up who wants to grow us we thank you for that we need it you are interested in it you are engaged in it with great resolve you want to build a church you want to build us so we thank you for that and then ask we come requesting also. We want to honor you with our requests and ask you to do this great work. To not just want it, but to actually do it. Would you work in us to will and to work according to your good pleasure? You want a church? Would you build it, please? we ask you father to come in this time to use this next bit of time here that we have to accomplish something impossible something supernatural to remake us to make us new creatures most of us here Lord are believers you have already made us new creations in Christ and what I'm asking is that you would make us who are new creations that you would make us new, that you would renew us even more so. Renew our minds and thereby transform us, Lord. Build your church. Towards that end, would you use this passage in front of us this morning to give me clarity in expressing it and expressing ideas that are related to it? Would you help us to understand and to follow along and to think clearly? Would You free us from distraction? Give us the ability to concentrate. The Lord, above all of that, above the the tangible and the nitty-gritty of concentrating and clarity of expression, I I want to ask You to just work and change us in ways that are hard to quantify and, and hard to identify. Make us different, please. Grow us up that we would know you more and delight in you more, and that we would shine in this world as examples of you, a testimony to your great, glorious grace. Help us, Lord. We need you to work. Do so now in this passage. Send your Spirit among us, Father, to have His way with us to clarify focus, to shine a light on Christ and cause us to see him as sweet. Have your way here, I pray this morning, Father. In the name of Christ and for his glory in the church and for our good, his people. Amen. We turn our attention this morning to the middle of Philippians chapter 2 where we enter a new section in this book. A short section, but it's a new section. The last number of weeks we've been working through the, the middle here of the end of chapter 1 through the first half of chapter 2 where we have seen Paul instructing the church about what he means for them to be, church, teaching the church of Philippi. He means them to be citizens worthy of the gospel. He's been teaching about that, elaborating on it. He wants them to be humble and united in other-centered love. And he's been writing, trying to build that up in them by using the gospel message explicitly and then telling them to hold fast to it last week we talked about the necessity of building the church with the gospel talked about that and and said how it's all gonna be hard work It, it will have a payoff in the end when he stands before the Lord with with a church that's been built by the gospel to present in his hands it's gonna be hard work though it's gonna involve suffering and sacrifice and so they should rejoice and be glad with him along along with him in that So we've been looking at the last couple weeks that kind of closes off that section and then moves us into a different one. For the next couple of weeks, beginning in verse 19, Paul is going to, if you will, kind of let his foot off the gas and talk about something a little easier. He's going to talk about a couple of guys and a travel schedule which may seem a bit mundane and is in fact less theologically loaded than what has been and than what is coming. So there is a, there's a bit of a, of a change of pace here, a change of, of speed, of intensity. But while it may be a little tempting to kind of skip through this, after all these people aren't going to come visit us, so how is this important? i might be tempting to skip through it. It is in the Bible. I Note that. It's in the Bible, so we should look at it. And there is something here that will give us opportunity, particularly this morning, to consider... Again, the gospel-building people. We're going to see a connection here, something that's happened in Timothy's life, which is the reason that Paul's sending Timothy. That's going to be helpful for us to think about this topic again, the gospel-building-up people. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. How does the gospel build Christians, specifically as we see it arising out of verses 19-24, through the story of Timothy's travel plans. So I'm going to talk about the passage, and then I'm going to use that in the last half of the sermon to, to talk about a concept that we, that we see kind of in the passage but isn't explained in the passage. So I'm doing something perhaps a little bit different than I usually do. I usually hold rather closely to, to a, a text. I'll be doing that for the first part of the sermon, but the second half is going to be kind of some thinking about something in the text, but thinking which is not specifically clarified in this passage. It's a little different than I normally proceed. That's where we're going this morning. I'm going to think about Timothy and then think about what that says about how the gospel builds up Christians, how the gospel grows us and changes us. Together, here's the, here's the point that I'm working towards this morning. I'll put it all in a sentence. God is gracious to grow us by giving us models of gospel-centered heart change. God is gracious to grow us by giving us models, in this case, that's Timothy, by giving us models of gospel-centered heart change. thing that's happened in Timothy is a model to the church. He's going to go carry, in his person, carry to them and model in front of them. And God is very gracious to give us that so we can see it And not just hear about it. That's where we're going this morning. Let me read the paragraph. This is Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 24. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. They all seek their own interests not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me, and I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. Philippians two nineteen through 24 That's my first point for this morning, first observation. God graciously provides gospel centered models to help us grow into what we should be. God graciously provides gospel centered models to help us grow. See this in, in Paul's sending of Timothy to the church, verse 19. Paul describes his intention to send him soon. He says that again in verse 23 soon after I learned the outcome of my trial. He thinks that verdict is going to come relatively quickly, and right after that, he's going to send along Timothy. So that they can hear about it, he knows they want to hear. As verse nineteen puts it, "I'll send him soon, so that not only will you hear about me, about my verdict, so you'll be encouraged, but I'm going to send him." Middle verse nineteen, so that I too, in addition to you, I too may be cheered by news of you. So here's the, the stated, the overt reason Paul's going to send Timothy, so that they can be cheered by news of his verdict and so that he too can be cheered by news of them that's the stated and it's a genuine reason but there's more here than just Timothy than just Timothy as reporter it's going to do more than just carry news back and forth and we're tipped off to that that there's more here by the fact that Paul wants to hear about them and be cheered. That's something he's already said before in this letter. Back in, take a guess where. If you've been here, you realize everything goes back to chapter 1, verse 27. He said the same, he said a very similar thing back in 127. He wants to hear about one thing only. So what he wants to hear about now from Timothy is not the Philippian church gossip. He does not want to hear how business is and where'd you guys go on vacation and did Johnny get into Stanford? Somebody wants to hear. Timothy is going to come back and tell him, verse one, chapter 127, the one thing he wants to hear, that they are walking as citizens worthy of the gospel. That's what he wants to hear about from Timothy. And in fact, that's why he's mentioned Timothy first, though chronologically, the next guy in verses 25 and following, Epaphroditus, is going to travel first. Epaphroditus is going to travel carrying this letter with Paul's teaching to them about how to walk as a gospel-worthy citizen. And then Timothy's going to come and see how it's going and report back to Paul. Indeed, they are walking as citizens worthy of the gospel. Oh, good, that cheers me. See the order there. Timothy's mentioned first because Timothy in his mission relates to everything Paul's been talking about. He's going to tell me if you are how you are, in fact, walking as citizens worthy of the gospel. That's what he's going to report on. However, Not only is it not just about reporting on the news, it's not just reporting about that particular piece of news. Timothy has been sent to help them. That's why Timothy is sent. He picks Timothy in particular because Timothy is and Timothy has something that they need. This church in Philippi. Look how he's introduced. First of all, notice that he is introduced even though Paul says you know him. If I introduce somebody to you that you already know and I tell you some things about him, I've picked out those things in particular to highlight because they're important in some way or another for this relationship. Somebody you already know, I mention something and then notice what he mentions mention something in particular. I have nobody like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Does that sound familiar? That's exactly what he's been telling them they're supposed to be. People who are genuinely concerned, chapter 2, verses 3, 4, 5, Do nothing from rivalry, but count others, their interests as greater than your own, them as as of more concern than yourselves. That's exactly the the thread of what he's been pushing on them. And I'm going to send along Timothy. You know Timothy. I'm going to send along Timothy, who will be, when he comes among you, a living, breathing example. He will be genuinely concerned for your interest, like you're supposed to be. You're going to see it when he comes. Timothy, in particular, has been sent to model something, what they are supposed to be. And it's a particular kind of model. Not just sent to report on the news, not just sent to report how they're walking, not just sent to to model that they're supposed to walk this way, but to to model that they're supposed to walk this way with a particular twist. And this is where we get to gospel-centered modeling. Modeling. He's uniquely mature, says Paul. I have no one like him, verse 21. Notice Paul's talking about other Christians that are available to him. I have no other Christians like Timothy. The other Christians that I have available all live for their own interests. E. I I have no one like him. Others all seek their own interests, not the interests of others. Oh, wait. Is that what verse 21 says? Look look at your Bible. Is that what verse 21 says? They all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. The expected contrast, the contrast from chapter 2, is... Not their own interests, but the interests of other people. That's not what's unique about Timothy. Everybody else seeks their own interest, not the interests of Christ. Timothy's going to come. He's going to be genuinely concerned about you. He's going to be concerned about Christ. That's noteworthy. Furthering, concerned about Christ. You know Timothy. He's the one like a son with me who has slaved away in the gospel. That's the nature of the word, served with me in the gospel, verse 22. He served with me. That is, he has slaved with me in the gospel. Like a faithful Son and a father. He is about what I'm about. He is with me where I am. He is in the gospel, giving his life to it. He is uniquely concerned about the interests of Christ. And when he comes, you will see him genuinely concerned about you. That's Timothy, the guy they know. And what Paul has emphasized is this train. Slaving in the gospel, concerned about Christ, and therefore will be, I'm sure, concerned about you when he shows up. That's the kind of model that's being sent to them. The kind of model they need to see. They do not need, we do not need models of behavior. Now this is. A, I want to be careful here because there is, there is place, there is room for a modeling of in, in many things in life. This is how you do X. We we learn we learn how to balance a checkbook by watching a checkbook be balanced. There's value in that kind of modeling, and there's value in, for instance, adult men. <laughs> showing their sons or young boys how to tie a tie, just how to, how to behave in certain ways, how to open the door for a, a, a girl or a woman. Behaviors, there's value in that. Okay. But what I'm trying to emphasize is that we do not need to grow up into what we are to be. We do not need a Christian model, a type of Christian model that says, this is how you act like a Christian because so often what that is is this is how you be a Pharisee looking good on the outside but just a whitewashed tomb see the difference I'm trying to get at there I am not saying there's no room whatsoever for any kind of behavior modeling I'm talking about something more than that beyond that Something that we desperately need is a a modeling, a living in front of us by somebody who has has something about how I become the kind of person that walks this way. A gospel-souled person. A Christ-souled person who then... Behaves how I'm supposed to behave. That whole train of thought is what I, what you, Christian, need. That kind of modeling. Not just what you are to do, but how you get there. Follow me on that. That's what Paul, God, Is graciously providing to the church in Philippi that kind of a model. And our first point here is to note God's graciousness in giving that. We're going to talk in a moment, we're going to talk about how it is that gospel leads to change for the behavior that we're supposed to be about. We're going to talk about that. But before we get there, we're just talking about God's graciousness in providing that kind of a model noting God's goodness in it, noting our need for it, noting the fact that we should seek to be such models ourselves. Not models of behavior only, but models of heart behind the behavior. We are are people that, by God's design, we catch stuff. Things rub off on us. This is another way that we, that we learn, that we are, are changed or developed, not purely just by hearing, but also by seeing. This is a good and, and right thing. It's part of what being a church is about, a community that we live around one another and model right next to, this is how we become the people of God modeling but we have to be modeling heart, not just behavior. That's what God means graciously to provide in a church that kind of a model. So all we're seeing here at the beginning is that Paul does not consider his teaching to be sufficient in and of itself, He wants to put flesh on it with Timothy. Note that. Modeling. When God provides it, mentoring relationships, discipling relationships, mature ones, a step beyond. When God provides that, He's giving us a gift of His grace to show us how to walk with Him. When you are in such a situation, Be careful that you show, that you explain the heart, not just the behaviors. That's the first point, which is obviously bumping right up against the second one because, well, what does that mean? What what do you mean, show the heart? Uh, What what is that kind of modeling? What is that? We'll come to that in a second here. But you get the first point. Modeling people-to-people connection very important, a gift from God in our Christian growth. God graciously provides gospel-centered models for us. Seek them out. Seek to be one. Thank Him for it. But the second point is I think the, the larger, maybe more complicated, but I think more helpful one. I think more helpful one. Let me tell you how i come to the second point before i say what it is i'm trying to work on that connection between sold out to the gospel concerned about the interests of christ and therefore when given opportunity walking in a manner worthy of christ behaving what's the connection there that's what i'm thinking about that's what i'm asking what's the connection Gospel-centered, Christ-centered, and therefore then other centered Here's the second point. The gospel makes Christians grow by progressively changing our hearts. The gospel makes Christians grow by progressively changing our hearts. In other words, my answer to the question, what's the connection? The answer is, the connection is that when the gospel comes and as the gospel tightens its grip on us, we change in the heart. On the inside. By design... We live out of what the Bible calls our hearts. And it doesn't mean just this this organ beating in our chest here. Biblically speaking, the heart is the the inside part of us that is the seat of our thinking, the seat of our feeling, the seat of our wanting, our desiring, our intellectual, our volitional seat, the heart. It's the part of us that gives ultimate decisive shape Ultimate decisive shape to the decisions that we make. To what we do, to how we are. This is taught all over the Bible. If you want to hang it on a particular verse, you could find Matthew 12, 34 to be pretty clear. Jesus says there, out of the abundance or overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. It's everywhere, but that's a pretty clear verse. The mouth speaks out of the heart. What's in here? flows out of here we live inside out not outside in we live according to what we perceive as real in our hearts we live according to what we understand to be true and powerful we understand our hearts we live according to what we believe is in our best interest What is most likely to benefit us, to delight us, to bring us joy? Short. We are designed to be driven by our hearts to pursue what we believe is good and specifically to pursue what we believe is good for us. That's what we want, so we pursue it by design. And right here is where the power in every sin lies. The problem is not with the design. God made us like that. The problem is that from the very beginning, when Satan first deceived Eve into believing that her good lay just beyond, just right on the other side of rejecting God's authority and becoming her own boss, When he deceived her into believing that her good lay just on the other side of taking the fruit, eating, having her eyes open, and becoming like God, he deceived her into thinking, this is where your good lies. This is what is true and right and appropriate. And she believed the lie. Since that moment, the power in every sin that each of us commits, the power there is the deception that this is right And good, specifically good for you, go get it. That's the power in sin. God's design is not the problem. The problem is that we are fallen and captive to sin. Our hearts are messed up, and so we see and understand and want and believe wrongly. Fallen hearts. Jeremiah 17:9 puts it succinctly the human heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick who can understand it Paul taught in Ephesians 4 humans walk in the futility of our minds darkened in our understanding alienated from the life of God due to the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart We have hard darkened hearts that are blind, sick, dead, ignorant, and alienated from God. And so we do not see God as good and specifically as good for us. This is before Christ intervenes. God's design is not the problem. God designed us to see good and to see good specifically for us and to chase it because good is who? God. And now fallen, we are, to say it in the least, completely confused on that point. And we think good is everything other than God. The design is not the problem. The blindness of the heart is the problem. Christ must intervene, and does, to change the heart. Not, if you're following this, not to change the behaviors Behaviors come from something. It's very important to understand this. If we're going to become people who walk in holiness and righteousness, who are what Paul's been teaching us to be there, something must happen before them. The heart out of which that comes has to be changed. Changed. That's what Christ intervenes to do, and it is changed by means of the gospel. Let me explain what I mean by gospel. The gospel is, let me put it in a sentence, the message about what God has done in Christ to redeem a people to himself. Now you could express that in a hundred different ways. I just picked that one to get it into a sentence. You might want to draw this on your paper because here's how I'm thinking about this. I'm thinking of writing that little sentence in a circle. What God has done in Christ to redeem a people for himself in a circle with the cross right in the middle of that circle. right in the middle of my piece of paper. I've got that sentence drawn out. There's the gospel expressed in a sentence. But follow this. As soon as you write that out, you could and and should say, God, what God has done. God, what do you mean by God? I draw, like if that's the hub of a wheel, draw a spoke off from God. And on that spoke, you write God the eternally existing triune being who made all things that are, made them freely of his own determination, not from any sense of need, but made them for the purpose of displaying his glorious goodness in the world to his creation. Etc. 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 That's what I mean by God. And then you could ask. You said triune. What do you mean by triune? So you draw a branch off of triune. By triune, I mean three beings in in one. God eternally exists in a single being which has three persons. We call them God the Father and God the Son and God the Spirit. They all are equally God, but they are distinct in their being etc okay that's god what god has done in christ what has has he done there's a spoke who is christ there's a spoke think about this for a second your whole paper is going to be filled up here very shortly right so there's the gospel and there's the gospel whole thing expressed in a sentence and really you could even express it schematically in just the cross you could you know, a very simple stick diagram a little phrase a whole paper a whole book the gospel it's the message about what God that one has done this at the cross In Christ, to redeem. What does redeem mean? Oh my word, you could spend pages and pages and pages writing about redemption, restoration, and what it means to take people from lostness and darkness into glory and light, to deliver us into life now and an eternal future of good in His presence, to redeem a people to Himself forever. The Gospel, the Gospel, That's what changes our hearts. How? How does that happen? When we hear it, that message, some part, some branch off of some stick, a whole spoke, the hub, a a piece of a branch connected to the hub, when we hear it, and God graciously gives us eyes to see it, we are internally rewired. Leaving that metaphor. What I mean is that by His Spirit, God opens our eyes so that we not just learn some facts, what's out here on that twig, Perceive them accurately. You hear at some point in your Christian life that God loves, God the Father loves God the Son. You hear that, you accept it, you believe it, you never doubt it. And then at some point, the gospel and one little branch twig is preached to you and you think about god loves the sun that one the sun the exact representation of his being fully God. God the Father looked at him for all eternity past and saw in him everything that was delightful and everything that was good and sang over him forever in endless joy and delight. Oh, the Father loves the Son. The Father, whose whose heart, whose capacity to love, whose capacity to enjoy good is bottomless, is endless, finds that filled as he reflects on and looks at God the Son, beautiful and holy and good and right. Awesome is his name. The Father loves the Son. Oh Yeah, I know that. And then maybe... God by his spirit causes you to know that in a different way and you are rewired a little bit God the father really loves the son and then another piece falls in and gave him to get you oh my word I mean I've always known that the father loved the son and gave the son to get me I've always known that but now I know he he gave that one to get me And now you see something in a different way as the gospel, that little twig off of that branch, is proclaimed to you and by the Spirit pressed into you so that you understand and perceive that which you already always knew. But you're rewired. And some little false, broken, twisted piece in your heart is straightened and strengthened. And your heart is made new in just this little way. On this one day, something gets fixed. And now you regard him differently. And regard what he has done for you differently. And then when it comes around to... skipping ahead here. When it comes around to the command, Thou shalt not steal. Or positively expressed, give... Give. Every commandment has a a positive and a negative expression. It comes around to the positive. Give. And somebody preaches another piece of the gospel to you from Hebrews chapter 11. Keep your lives free from the love of money, for I will never leave you nor forsake you. Boom! What comes right in there is the Father loves the Son and gave him to get me. Loves me that much. And that one will never leave me nor forsake me. I have everything that I need, like Hebrews 11 says. Give? Why not? Sure. Who needs green paper? I have this one who will never leave me nor forsake me. And so I give not out of obligation, I give not even out of command, but I give out of a heart that's been rewired on two totally different days, two totally different quiet times or sermons. But it was the gospel that changed me that leads to my obedient giving with a happy, joyful, free heart, the kind of giver that God loves. The gospel changed my giving because the gospel changed my heart. Maybe the kind of person in here that gives. That's the kind of growth that we need. That's the kind of growth that actually works in us to change how we previously were thinking about money. If you think about that person before he gets rewired by the gospel, before he gives freely, He's valuing money in some way, making a decision about it. Thinking, I need or I want. Looking at the world through a heart that says, maybe this will protect me, this money who Needs green paper? I do to be protected. I need a bank account level of X and job security of Y to make sure the bank money is still coming in because that's what's going to protect me. Or maybe I need it because that's what, that's what will bring me pleasure. This is, this is how I, I gather in ease and entertainment, use of my money. Or maybe. Who needs it? I do. Because this, this money is, is what the, I use to create my identity. The car and the house and the clothes. The status. Who need, I need that. Thinks the Christian who is tight with his money. Her money. That's the, the, that's the heart at work. Do you see that? That's what's, to be even a little more detailed, that's what's worked out. When I said that little piece of your heart is straightened and strengthened, those are the pieces that are straightened and strengthened. You don't need this for security. You have that one. So he is both glorious, and you're carried along by the wonder of it all, and very truth, practical, factual, you carried along by the glory of it all, and you realize, but that's also not just the glorious one, but that's also the one that is promised. He holds me and protects me, and I don't need the money to secure myself. I have him; he does it. He he establishes my identity. He's the one who brings me joy and pleasure, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Those are the pieces of the heart that are reworked by the gospel truth. So I'm carried along by the glory of it, and the truths are, are properly uh, turned around in my mind so that I understand them accurately. When God is at work in us to will and to work according to his good pleasure... What he does is he takes the gospel message, some piece of that page, pieces of that page, carries them into our lives so that we see and perceive and understand and want differently, rightly. According to what truly is. He changes our hearts And when that happens, behavior flows out of our hearts. The connection then between the gospel being centered on the gospel, Christ being centered on Christ, behavior, in this case being centered on other people, concerned about their needs, that the gospel takes my eyes off of me and the things that I think I can make life come from, changes my heart and sets it on Christ and all that he is and all that he has done and all that he promises me and gives me eyes to believe, changes my heart. And then the behavior follows out of a changed heart. This is what we cry out to God for. And wonderfully, this should lead us to praise and thanksgiving. This is how God grows us. Think about this. He could make givers out of us this way. Give! Okay right? Or you could make givers out of us. Give. I'm going to take it all away from you if you don't. I'll teach you to give. It's going out of your hands one way or the other. It's a little bit of a power play, a manipulation there. Or he can teach us to give by changing us on the inside so that we think and see all of the world, all of the reality like he sees it to make us back into the image of God to make us human again whole and right to fix us which would make us givers How awesome it is that that's how He works to grow us. Not by force or coercion, intimidation, but by doing this glorious, heart-changing work in us so that we become what we're supposed to be. So that we find ourselves walking with Him, delighting and enjoying all of life with Him and not cowering under Him or in front of Him. That is a good God who accomplishes his purposes, his good purposes in us, by changing us at the level of desire, his working in us to will and to work according to his good pleasure. That is a great God. And it happens by means of the gospel. Now, I'm I'm done here. But in another way, there are legions of books written on this topic. So I can think of several topics related to this I haven't even touched on. I'm I'm done here, but the topic is not done. God's use of the gospel to build his people is so central and so important to us. If you want to think more about it, Talk to me afterwards. I can point you towards some resources that are, I think, very helpful and and useful. But this is a very, very big deal. Unfortunately, most Christians, unfortunately, would have to fall into the category where Paul says, most Christians I know pursue their own interests, and I mean that in a bad way. Because it's not pursuing the interests of Christ. That's really, really unfortunate. Not just because it's wrong, it's tragic. You're pursuing obedience with the strength that you have in your own hands, trying to secure life for yourself with with your own abilities. It's failure. Yes, it's sin, but it's failure. It's futile. He offers to us real change that does not come by our working at it, by our striving after it. Indeed, we must exert effort, as we've been talking about, in union with God's work in us, not in exception to. So Christian, I'm done here, but I, I leave this question with you. You to think about it as we turn towards communion. Do you find yourself pursuing change, Christian growth? With this phrase on your lips Oh Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Or with this phrase on your lips If it's meant to be, it's up to me. Which characterizes you? Oh Lord I believe but help my unbelief I see where I fall short help my unbelief remake my heart help me to see it and believe you or I better get busy if it's meant to be it's up to me are you pursuing Christian growth in faith or in works let me pray Father I am thankful For this portion of your work in us that we've talked about here this morning, I'm thankful for it, that you work to remake our hearts. That you use message of your glory pressed into us by your Spirit to make us different. I am thankful that you work that way. And I am at the same time grieved that there are clearly times in my life that I don't think about it and don't think like that and strive with my own hands to be different. So Lord, for me and for us here, would you forgive us? Would you help us to understand a little more this morning about how you change our hearts with the gospel. Would you change us a little more this morning? And as my brothers and sisters sit here and reflect and, and ask you, would you speak to them? Would you confront, encourage, whatever's appropriate? Would you speak to your people? Encourage them to know to remind themselves of, to preach the gospel to themselves, and to cry out for faith to believe it. Do this work to build your church, please. And as we celebrate communion now and take in our hands these elements that remind us of the gospel, would you cause us to treasure what you have done for us in Christ at the cross to redeem a people to yourself. Cause us to treasure this and to remember it and rest in it. Thank you, Lord. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission.